I'd like to look at one of the saddest stories in the Bible, and yet it ends with probably the happiest ending you can imagine. So we'll walk that journey here in a moment. Before we do that, stand up, stretch a little, and say hello to somebody around you. 20, maybe even longer years ago, I don't remember exactly the date, we decided that there were important topics that should be covered. And it kind of came from the premise that if you don't teach things regularly over time, they are neglected and eventually lost. And so there's a list of 20-something, 24 topics maybe, 25, I think another one got added, uh, that the men helped come up with at that juncture. One of the things the leadership team <clears throat> has done since then is to also say, you know, we have a statement of faith, and included in that statement of faith are things that we say are key beliefs. And so we have tried to make a concerted effort at covering those on occasion as well. You've heard some of those, and we're going to have another one of those this morning. When was the last time you, any of you heard a sermon on the fall of man? Anyone have one in memorable history? I'm not sure if I remember when it was last covered. That's uh, why so I say it's probably the saddest story <clears throat> in the Bible. There are some other very, very sad ones, but I think this one has to be at the top of the list. Have you ever thought of the two words that you can make from history? Some of you have. His story. We think of life typically as being my story or our story. But I think it's maybe more helpful to think of it, this is his story. God has a plan. He has something that he had in mind from the creation of time. And I was blessed by the uh, reading, particularly in John 4. There were Jesus and some of the statements he made, they linked into that story. If you think back to creation, God creating a perfect place, did Adam and Eve need to be told that they needed to worship God in spirit and truth? They, they were perfect at the point of creation. And yet today, fallen humanity needs to be reminded how we need to worship. And also their food, Jesus' food. He said, my food is to do the Father's will, to do the will of the one who sent me. And for us, we get so distracted with other things that we think are filling. And true, we need physical filling. The true food. Let's go to the statement we have in our statement of uh, faith. It's Article 4 of the Fall of Man. We believe that man was created by an immediate act of God in his own image and after his likeness, that by one act of obedience... He became sinful in his nature, spiritually dead, subject to physical death and to the power of the devil. Not only is man subject to death, we have a man killing another man. Death became reality very quickly in that process. 
So I'd, I don't have, you can follow along in Genesis 1. This is not going to be a creation sermon, but here's the path that I want to walk this morning. The creation, the calamity, the curse, consequences, the current state. And the last one is actually a happy one, the final state. Uh, we're going to get to Revelation and see how God makes right all this stuff that went wrong. And I got excited about that as I was studying. Thank the Lord for that. First of all, the creation. Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, you find God creating a perfect place. He put Adam in charge of the Garden of Eden. He's the responsible party. If you look at uh, verses 26 to 30, you will find that description of how God viewed man. He said, let us make man in our image in our likeness. Isn't that amazing? Those two words, God's perfect place. He made mankind to reflect him. It says here in image and in likeness. And I, I take that to mean not, but there's something about the human form and person that reflects God in a way that nothing else in creation quite can that God created something in his image. And then he put, he put, uh, well, for, let me back up here. We need to talk about this a little, this perfect place. Can you imagine what the perfect place was like? I'm jumping ahead to who Adam was, but it was these, these perfect human beings. Can you imagine no illness? Uh, I'm imagining perfection just to the T. There's absolutely nothing wrong with these human specimens. There's, they're beautiful, they're strong, they're healthy, they're comfortable. Can you imagine God creating a place they didn't even, they didn't need protection from the weather. Didn't rain. I don't know how bright the sun was. Sun was there. And imagine our our minds could really roll here. But the perfect place, there is nothing wrong with it. It is beautiful, just the way God wanted it. Uh, if you go to, I forget, I think it's Ezekiel. No, it's Isaiah. There's a reference to uh, the devil being cast out of heaven, and it references a place in heaven by the name of Eden. There are some people who believe that the Garden of Eden was actually like a piece of heaven put on earth. It's God's presence. It's that beautiful. That's what God created. He didn't create it to be separated from man. He created it to be with man, an incredible place. Taking too long, creation is wonderful. Man is the responsible party. It's a reflection of God's character, acting in his will, one with God's heart. You'll see there in verse 26 of chapter 1, God gives him dominion over all of creation, and he specifically names the uh, animals, uh, both in the air, sea, land, all of them. Man has dominion there. He's the caretaker. He has a higher rank. And then we have this phrase, I'm going to lay my eyes on it, it just says that God spoke this and it was so. This is God's desire. It's how it is. It's the way it was. And then he says in verse 28 to 
Adam and Eve, although they're not both named, but to mankind, he says, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves. And then he says, and here's what you can eat. So there's this be fruitful and multiply thing. There's the food thing. And at this point, there is no eating of meat. It's all plant-based. There is no death of man or animals in God's perfect creation. There was absolutely no sorrow of any sort. I wonder, I suppose people were created with nerves. Did they need them? Did people have pain in the Garden of Eden? I don't know. Did, could Adam, the perfect created Adam, could he smash his thumb or was he so perfect he didn't even have accidents? I don't know. I, they obviously had nerves. God created them that way. But it's this perfect place. You go to Revelation, you find out there's no pain there. I like to surmise there probably wasn't any pain in the Garden of Eden. I don't know. Branches didn't die and fall on your head. Trees didn't fall over. There was no decay. Amazing. And then God says at the end of chapter 1, it was very good. This was a wonderful place. Then we go to chapter 2, the zoomed-in view. God created this universe in this spot somewhere on earth. He picked it out. He said, here is a place that I am going to plant a garden We find it, yes, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who formed it. So it's almost like he built a house, except he didn't have a house. I don't think he built a garden. Man, here's where you're going to be, this wonderful place. Uh, it's the center of the creation. A couple of interesting notes there. If you will look in uh, verse 9, we'll find a couple of things that were there. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So it was beautiful. It had things to eat. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And remember this picture because of when we get to Revelation. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it parted and became, it says it went into four different rivers and it describes that. Verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. That was the one restriction that God put in place. Everything else was, here's what you do, do this. But this was a don't do this. And that sets the stage for chapter three. Let's catch up here on the screen. God created a perfect place. He put Adam in charge. It was very good. And now we come to Genesis chapter 3, and for this I would like for you all to help me read together. If you would, please, we'll read. We're going to go through this in stages. We're going to read sections as the events unfold, 
and note what happens in them. Altogether, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, as God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Six short verses changed everything in God's perfect world. Someone has said we shouldn't get too mad at Adam and Eve. If they wouldn't have messed it up, someone else probably would have. I don't know if that's true or not. But God did create us as creatures of choice. And sadly, they were deceived. Enter the serpent, a snake. Now, I'm not a snake-handling preacher, but I did have it cross my mind it could be a very interesting illustration to visually have a snake here and to think about. So do it in your mind. Think about having a conversation with a snake. It says he was more crafty than any other animal. Didn't you think about what he might have looked like? It says that part of the curse was that he began to slither. So what did he look like before then? Did he have legs, wings, both? Don't know. But something changed, and he went to slithering on his belly as a result of what he did here. It was a beautiful creation of God's new earth. And yet he became an instrument of the devil. He was shrewd, sly, and deceptive. And he engaged Eve in conversation with the intent of deceiving her. And you'll notice that he questions God's truthfulness. He questions God's instructions. Did God really say that? Ah, oh, that's not really the way it is. God just knows that when you eat of that, you're going to be like him. There was a sense in which that was true. Because at that point, before they ate, they did not have knowledge of good and evil like they did after the fact. Scripture tells us that Eve was deceived. She ate. And we have the reasoning for it. If you go uh, to verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the fruit looked good, it was going to be tasty, it was pretty, it was pleasant to the eyes, and not only that, it was desirable to make one wise. 
So you have this thing of beauty, you have this thing of physical satisfaction, and you have this thing of mental improvement. I'm, I'm going to be a better person because of this. How often the devil still does that to us when he tempts us with sin. And there may be elements of truth, but unfortunately, it is not the whole story. And then sadly, Adam also eats. The very end here, and you'll see it on the screen, the last phrase, she also gave to her husband with her. He was there. I imagine he maybe even heard the conversation. I don't know. But he wasn't real far off. What's in his, what do you think's in Adam's mind? He watched Adam, uh, he watched Eve, his, this companion God gave him. He didn't have anybody in all of creation. No one else was similar to him. A special gift created out of his rib. She just disobeyed God. She didn't die yet. I wonder, did Adam think, I can't live without her. I'll do what she does. We'll do this together. I don't know. I'm surmising. But he consciously made the choice to eat. Very sad. Perfect world, perfect people, and now they're tarnished by sin. Let's read the next few verses. Altogether, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Wow. Adam and Eve are different. Something changed. You'll notice that their eyes were opened, both of them, not just Eve, but they both had their eyes opened. The knowledge, the fruit from the tree of knowledge had its effect. They now had a knowledge of right and wrong. They lost their innocence. They knew that they were naked. They felt the need to cover themselves, and it says they attempted to make clothes out of fig leaves. They sewed them together. I don't know what they sewed them together with, but 
I don't know if you've ever tried to be, tried to make clothes out of leaves. Uh, fig leaves, I'm not overly familiar with fig trees, but it doesn't sound comfortable. Uh, probably not a really good job of covering either. It would have taken quite a few of them. Those leaves aren't really big. And yet they, that, that was their instinct. God didn't tell them, but they knew they had lost their innocence. They became aware of their sin. Their sin led to a fear of God. You'll see in these verses, uh, let's see here, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I wonder if that was normal. God comes walking to check on his creation. How was your day, Adam? What'd you see today? Did you name any new animals? Did you find any new animals today? How's the food? Do you have a favorite one? I don't know what all those conversations may have been. But something changed. Verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid. That's different. Before it was perfect communion, it was relationship between God and man. And now they had fear, and God's presence was something to be avoided, not enjoyed. Fellowship was lost. Isn't it interesting? God came looking for them. It was man that changed, not God. Man had brought this on himself. God confronts Adam and Eve. It's interesting to me that he initially went to Adam. I suppose we could read into the sequence something of God's intent and order. Even in the perfect world, it appears to me that God had a, there was a co-worker relationship there between Adam and Eve. But I think that even there they had different roles. But it was much more similar until sin entered the world. What did God say? He, he came to Adam, he confronted him, and he said, where are you? He's hiding. Now, God's all-knowing. He knew where Adam was. It wasn't that he had to go find him, but it was his way of engaging Adam to talk about what happened. And Adam confessed in verse 10. He said, I heard, I was afraid, I hid. He said, I was naked. God said, how do you know you're naked? Did you eat of that tree? Yeah, well, the woman you gave to be with me. That's the phrase, the woman you gave to be with me. My companion, she gave it to me. So I guess he kind of confessed and he said, and I ate. But he made sure to tell the events as they were. Sometimes, I think we frequently have heard this as blame, and I think there is an element of that there. But I think there's also a part of it where Adam simply answered God's question without any deception at all. It was just, this is what happened. She ate and gave it to me, and I ate. 
Adam didn't really answer the question, did you eat of the tree? He just said what happened, and yes, I ate. He didn't. He did, he did say that. It was, it was the previous one. Who told you you're naked? That was the question he did not answer. So then God goes to Eve. What have you done? And she says, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. That interchange is rather short. Don't have a lot of other description. I wonder what Adam and Eve were thinking. They knew what God had said back in earlier, the day you eat, you're going to die. I think they had to know that this wasn't going to end well. I suppose they wondered, did they even know what death was? There was no death. I don't know. They were completely innocent before that, but they was replaced by this fear, and they knew they were guilty. God had informed them of consequences of their sin, and that takes us to the curse. I'd like for you to read with me. We have three distinct sections in the curse, followed by additional consequences. Let's read the curses here all together. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The sad story continues to unfold. We now have a curse. First of all, the serpent's curse. You are cursed above all other land animals. You're going to lose the mobility with which you were created. It's not that you can't move around, but you're going to do it differently. Whatever God had created him with, it changed. And he's now a slithering creature on his belly. Not only that, it says, all the days from here on out, there's going to be enmity between you and people. Now, there are creatures that people are scared of and don't like. I think snakes are probably in the more universal category of that one. 
Some people have pet snakes, I know. Some people like reptiles. But in general, there is a hatred and an enmity. Venomous snakes will go after people whenever they have the opportunity. There is enmity there. Fortunately, not all snakes are venomous. I'm grateful for that. But that is present. That curse has continued. We have the woman's curse. And if you just look at verse size, number of words, the serpent's curse and the woman's curse are actually fairly short. God tells Eve, you're going to have multiplied increase. It's not just double. It says multiplied. I don't know what that means. I don't know what childbearing would have been like in the perfect world. But probably not that painful. He says there's going to be a big increase, a multiplied increase in pain of bearing children. And I'm not going to make a lot of theology out of this next one, but it's here. Your desire is going to be towards your husband, and he will rule over you. Something changed in the dynamic of the way God created men and women to function. And a part of the curse was, I think, a change in the way Eve viewed Adam and in his responsibility to lead out. In some ways, I wonder if it's not a natural consequence. Adam, you didn't do your role as a man in the perfect world. Now you've got even more responsibility. It's your job to take care of Eve in even a different way than what you did before. So we go to the man's curse. It's verse 17. Because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate of the tree, that's the reason God gives it to him. Cursed is the ground. You'll notice the snake got cursed. The woman got a curse that affected her physically and relationally. And to the man, he says, the ground's cursed. And you're going to have to work hard all the days of your life. In sorrow you will eat of it. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth. I guess I even wonder if thorns and thistles existed before then. I don't know. I'm not really told what was in the plant kingdom. But we do know that food just grew. I don't know if Adam and Eve had to plant anything or not. I tend to think maybe not. I'm not sure. Maybe there was... Cycles of harvest, although that's a part of what's named in after the flood, seed time and harvest shall not end. That's what God said at that point. There was no description of that earlier. And all of a sudden, work becomes very hard. In the sweat of your face you shall eat. And now here's the sad part. Till you return to the ground, you are dust, and to dust you will return. God didn't strike him dead at the moment. 
but he assured him that's where he was headed. Death entered the world. Spiritual death happened immediately, and the course of physical death began. One of the things I find interesting, most men and women that I talk to would not trade curses with the other gender. As miserable as ours is, we tend to not want the others. But that's not all. There were additional consequences. Catching up on the screen here. Death is now expected. Your dust to it, you will return. Read together the additional consequences that God stated there. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore God, Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow. Perfect place, perfect garden, no house needed, could live comfortably there, everything you needed. And what's one of the first things that happens? God killed animals to cover their nakedness. God did the first shedding of blood for sin. He did the first, and he would also do the last. We know that story through Jesus. But he made skins. He made clothes of skin for Adam and Eve, and an animal or animals had to die to provide that. Then you'll also notice God's reasoning. You'll see it here in 22. The man's become like one of us. The devil was right. They did become like God in a way, in that they knew good and evil. That's what, that's what God's rationale is recorded here. Now, he did not become like God Man did not become like God in many other ways, but in that way he did. And God said, and now to keep him from eating of the tree of life and living forever in that terrible state, we've got to separate him from the tree of life. And what did he do? Adam got kicked out. And God placed cherubim or angels, angelic beings, at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, it says a flaming sword which turned every way. I have no idea what that looks like. I'm envisioning a spatial garden. 
I don't know if it had a wall and one entrance. I don't know if this angel was just everywhere all the time and you couldn't get close to any part of the garden. It says the flaming sword went every direction. But whatever the case was, that cherubim, it guarded the way to the tree of life that man could not eat. Did you, ever, did you ever think about it? God did not tell Adam and Eve they couldn't eat the tree of life. He said, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I believe what God wanted was for them to live forever in his presence without carrying any weight of evil and wrong. It was all good, it was all God, and it was to be forever. That's what God wanted. But they chose to go grab that fruit from the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. Let's note the tree of life was there being guarded. At some point, God removed it. We find it in heaven in Revelation. I don't know when he took it out, but at some point, the tree of life got taken. Death became reality physically and spiritually, and mankind was taken from the garden. And let's go to the current state. Mankind, in his natural state, is destined for death. We're fast-forwarding 6,000-some years now. What's it like now? What's it been most of the time since? We're destined to die. Life is doomed to include sinful actions because we have a sin nature. Oh, I wish I didn't, but I do. God is in the process of redeeming fallen man. He had a plan in mind. When he was cursing the serpent, what did he say? Offspring of the woman is going to bruise your head or crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Jesus did crush the head of the devil in the plan of salvation. God is in the process of restoring it. There's from that woman, her, from her descendants, a redeemer would be born. He would conquer sin. And he enacted his plan. thought of this this morning in the scripture reading. We know what happens. You all know what Genesis 6 is. What's there? The flood. God pushes reset. This world has gotten so wicked and crazy, and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people would have existed by then. People were living a long time. There were many generations, 2,000 years, there was a lot of people. And we go from all those, however many, back down to eight. God says, Noah, you found favor in my eyes. Let's try again. And then we go, fast forward, here's what stood out to me. God chooses a family group. What happened in the wilderness? You rebellious people, I got to let another whole generation die off. It's like God pushed reset again. It, man's bent has been to go evil and to be against God, to be rebellious, and God keeps coming back with his plan, wanting people 
to follow him and choose him. He keeps enacting it. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to redeem it, that whosoever believes on him might be saved. And there's many scriptures I would like to go to, but let's just go to this. God enacted his plan, and today we have an opportunity. We live in a moment of opportunity where we can choose life or death. Sin does not need to have dominion over us because of Jesus. We are not hopeless because of Jesus. We can be in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. The weight of guilt and sin can be lifted because of Jesus. We can live forever because of Jesus. We can spend eternity with God because of what Jesus did for us. And we can, once again, live in a perfect place forever, living forever because of Jesus. We live in a day of opportunity. It's all because of Jesus and what he did that we have that opportunity today. One more small segment and we could go a long time on this, but we won't, is the final state in Revelation 22, 1 to 5, a small piece of description of God's eternal heaven for those who love him. I'd like for you to read five verses with me on the screen here, beginning in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them, and they shall reign forever and ever. And we need to cue the hallelujah chorus about right there. Isn't that wonderful? Take a look. You remember what the Garden of Eden was like? Look at what this says, a pure river of water of life comes out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, God's throne. I don't know, is there a trinity in heaven? I don't know how that works. They're all there. They're all one, whatever. It's their throne. It's God's throne. This river's coming out of it. Now look at verse 2. In the middle of its street... So there's a street here in the city, and there's a river. On either side of the river is a tree of life. I don't know what your brain does when you try to visualize that, but it's like this tree of life is big. Both sides of the river, I guess the same tree. I don't know. Maybe that has got this massive arched root system. I don't know. It, but there it is. Maybe it's part of the throne. Maybe the throne's right there with the tree. I'm not sure. It would make sense in my mind that it would be. 
It's only the Garden of Eden. We've got a river. We've got a tree of life. We've got the presence of God. Look at this. Bearing 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. So it's like there's a, we're not going to get bored with this food. There's going to be something new, and I'm sure it will all be just wonderful. And verse 3, there's no more curse. I say hallelujah. Throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. His servants shall serve him. And I don't think, I think it's going to be like serving God in the Garden of Eden. It's going to be work, but it's not going to be work. It's not cursed. It's, the ground isn't cursed anymore. Pain's not there. And they shall see his face. It's like God walking in the garden again. People in right relationship with their creator. Life replaces death in the water of life, the tree of life. There's no curse of death. And as Revelation ends, I say along with it, even so, come Lord Jesus. I want to go there. I'd like for you to come with me. Let's walk each other to the gates of glory. The fall of man is sad. God's redemption plan is incredible. And we have the opportunity to participate. So the choice is ours. Choose life. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for your word and this marvelous story of redemption that comes out of such deep grief and brokenness and fallenness and sadness. Thank you for giving a way of redeeming that and making a, a path for us to be one with you. We long for the day when it's all made right. And in the meantime, as you unfold your story, I pray that we would faithfully walk with you, that we would accomplish your will while we're here on earth, represent you well, and yet we long to see that day of redemption. Transform us, change us from the inside out, give us a vision of what you want us to do while here and how we can reflect you best. Bless each person here with that understanding and the guidance of your spirit in how to follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen.